afternoon, LCM. See, we're going to have a fantastic day today. Y'all ready for a good afternoon together? We are prayed up, we are coffeeed up, we are sugared up, and we are ready to roll. Uh, we're going to start by, we've collected your homework now, and uh, we're actually going to read, uh, we're just going to pick some at random, and we're going to read at least one apiece, just to make sure that we're all in the right frame of mind. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, uh, Pastor, why don't you take that one you just said. We're going to read them all. Okay. Yeah, we are going to read them all, but we're just not going to read them all publicly to you. So. Okay, so four-line fictional story of your ideal marriage. Number one, my hot wife and I. Yes. Yes, that's a good word. Good word, good word. Good word. Love being with each other. Oh, yeah. And we cultivate our home together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cultivate me, baby. Yep. Outside. Okay. So, number two. Together, we spend time each day to read the word, worship, and go over our Abigail and the Baltrics. Her, her car and my car both work. <laughs> yeah, everybody here knows exactly who it is now. <laughs> so wait, wait, we'll preface it with what the homework was. Fictional story. Okay. Her car. <laughs> Her car. Here's your. That's the ideal marriage yes. right here. And my um, car both, both work. That run. My high, high goals, man. High so goals. this is also going to let you know how many kids are they're looking at. So her car and my car both work and are filled with kids. So both cars seem to be filled <laughs> just, with kids here. Okay. Doesn't even have to be their kids. No. It doesn't say that. Just, just random kids. Just we drive around up, and pick them up. Found them on the road. Threw them in the trunk. Hey, you want that? I'll take it. Here, I got some candy on, for you, kid. kid. Yeah. <laughs> her, her, yeah, I got to start over again. Her car and my car both work and are filled with kids who we train according to their respective callings. Okay? And number four, we spend our evenings with the body of Christ serving in the way we were destined to. Oh, okay. okay. Well, yeah. I got one. My ideal marriage would begin with more intense discipleship, like Jethro instructing Moses on how to deal with the new weight of those who are under his authority. That sounds very deep. He skipped the hot wife part. I kind of like the hot, <laughs> I kind of like the hot wife intro. <laughs> okay. We are going to read these. We're not going to read them all. We're not going to read them all here. What we want to do last week and this week, your homework is really to get you to commit to a position. Yeah. To get you to say, hey, it is written down so that by the end of this, you have a different perspective and something that you can compare this with. No, I, we already knew that, Pastor. Yeah, that's why we had you do the homework. We're going to start with what your picture of an ideal marriage is. The truth is, is the one that I read is he, he's working hard to be godly. I love it. And he skipped the entire first thing that we said. What's the very first thing that you're going to notice about your potential spouse? There's a physical attraction. That is okay. Everybody say, it's okay. It's okay. As a matter of fact, it's better than okay. You're going to be able to enjoy. God is not going to give you an ugly person. Amen. He is not going to give you an no. ugly spouse. That's just not going to happen. Part of his design is to give you someone that you find not just a little bit attractive, 
but you find a lot attractive. I promise you, when I met my wife at 12, we were both 12 years old. She wasn't my wife at the time, but when I met Christy, first thing that I noticed was how beautiful she was. For the 30-something years after that, my mind has never changed. I actually find her more beautiful today than I did when I first met her. That's the truth. That's an honest-to-God truth. So this is week three in singles class. We're continuing to talk about the target because we can look at what we just read and had from your homework and see that you still need some help on finding what you're supposed to be aiming your life at. Amen. Uh-huh. We're going to help you. We're going to get it. I promise. We're going to talk about the target, the three amigos. No, we're not going to do the dance thing. I'm good with the dance. That's fine. <laughs> I'm ready to do whatever. We'll go to the next slide here. Uh, review pre previous week of homework, of, of our class. We talked about an unguarded strength was what? It was a double weakness. Somebody take the microphone and quickly explain to this as our review from last week's teaching. Somebody would like to, would somebody like to tell us exactly what an unguarded strength is a double weakness means. Here you go, David Bonham. Unguarded strength is an Abigail or a strong characteristic that is godly in you that is, if not guarded, it can either wound the person in front of you or yourself. It can cause an attachment in between two people that are not supposed to be there. Yeah. It is a genuine strength that God has given you. But in an unguarded fashion, we talked about Joseph. We talked about in Genesis 37, how he was a dreamer. Remember how he shared his dream? He didn't guard the actual God-given insight that he had. And what happened? He found a stripper. Uh-oh. What happened was is he didn't guard his strength, so that very thing that he was unguarded in his life got stripped away from him. It got taken away from him, and he became a slave to the very thing and for the very reasons that were at one point his strength. But when he began to guard it, see, Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. He was good-looking. He was hot. What do you guys say now, by the way? What, what if, ladies, if there's a good-looking guy, like, like incredibly good-looking, what would you say about him? Fine. Hot, fine man, anything else? <laughs> Yummy. Scrumptious. Smoking? Smoking. Smoking, okay. Smoking. So Joseph was smoking. He, he, was, he was incredibly well-built and handsome. And when he guarded his strengths, you see that he rose and he was actually impacting the entire world. He became known as Zaphonoff Panea, the savior. Yeah. But you can see the difference in one person's life of having an unguarded strength and then him guarding those strengths and being able to be promoted in the kingdom. This happens when we work hard. This happens when we actually follow God's plan and we're aimed at the right target. We kind of started off with the review of homework of your four-line fictional story. We want you to take note. You guys can see it up there on the screen. Take note of what your story included. Okay? Pastor and I are going to read these. We didn't make you turn it in for nothing. But the primary function was for you to have something committed to that you were looking at, that, that you agreed to, that you actually put down on paper. So take note of what your story included and what it didn't include, what it excluded when compared to the material that we go through today. Does that make sense? Part of this is you're going to come and go, oh, I got that part right. Oh, I missed this. I'm, I'm still not aimed at exactly the right thing. 
So we're going to go on to the next slide, and we're going to ask you a question. What you wrote on the sheet of paper lets us and lends us to this question, do you have a plethora of reasons that you want to be married, or is there only one reason that you have that you want to be married? And so we're going to actually start off, and uh, we're going to have you guys watch this video first. Jefe! German arrived yet? Not yet, guapo. Many presents have been coming for your birthday. German has the only presents I want. Guns! Guns so that the name of El Guapo will be hanging on everyone's lips. He will be here, guapo. But I think you will like your other presents, too. I have put many beautiful piñatas in the storeroom, each of them filled with little surprises. Many piñatas? Oh, yes, many! Would you say I have a plethora of piñatas? A what? A plethora. Oh, yes. <laughs> you have a plethora. Jefe, what is a plethora? Why, guapo? Well, you told me I have a plethora. And I just would like to know if you know what a plethora is. I would not like to think that a person would tell someone he has a plethora and find out that that person has no idea what it means to have a plethora. Forgive me, guapo. I know that I, Jefe, do not have your superior intellect and education. But could it be that once again you are angry at something else and are looking to take it out on me? Like what, Jefe? Could it be because you are turning 40 today? No. Could it be because Carmen chooses to sleep in her cell instead of with you? Mm. Why don't you just take her? When you want cattle, you take the cattle. When you want food, you take the food. When you want a woman, you just take the woman. Why don't you just take her? Jefe. You do not understand women. You cannot force open the petals of a flower. When the flower is ready, it opens itself up to you. When do you think Carmen will open up her flower to you? Tonight, or I will kill her. El guapo! Ahí viene el avión! There's the German now. Right on time. So we're going to show it again. We liked it so much. A plethora of times. A plethora of times. What we didn't tell you was this was an actual work day that Juan, this is Juan leading his cruise. This is, we didn't, we didn't tell you that part. <laughs> the idea of a plethora. Do we have a plethora of piñatas? Uh, yeah, boss, we got a plethora. See, this is, uh, this is just kind of a fun way for us to start talking to you about uh, how many of you ever have used a word that you didn't understand what it meant? Many. Anybody ever been caught in that kind of situation and, and embarrassed yourself because you thought you were saying one thing, but you were really saying something else? Yeah, th this is what's happening here. Do you have a plethora of the reasons? A plethora, a, a, a wide variety, a lot of reasons for doing this. Or is there just one? 
Is there one reason to be married? Are you aiming at the right target? That's what we're trying to help you to do. We're trying to help you to understand that there's not a plethora of the reasons for us, but sometimes we are saying, yes. Yes, I know how to write an ideal marriage, Pastor. I have a plethora of the reasons for you. But the truth is, is we're not always quite sure that we're saying the exact thing that we think we're meaning, right? I've done that before. You guys see us on stage, and we're the kind of church that we don't hide these things. We don't edit them out of our sermons. You see us say one word and mean another. If you're going to be in front of people ever, that is going to happen to you. You're going to get too far ahead of yourself, and you're going to be saying one thing and need another. For instance, while we're talking here about having the right kind of reasons and understanding what we're actually saying, why do you want to be in an ideal marriage? Right? That was the homework assignment. Give us a four-line. You're, you're fictional, but it's a, it's a picture of what your ideal marriage should look like. In somebody's case that we read, it was just that you have two cars that work. We're going to randomly pick up strange children off the side of the road and throw them in so that both cars are filled to the max with children. That, that is a plethora of reasons to do it, but it may not be what we're looking for. The reason there are two cars is because you need one to get the other stuck out of the mud. <laughs> See, we got to start off here telling you that some of the reasons, and we haven't read through all of them yet, but we want to let you know, just having kids is not enough reason to get married. Uh, to avoid being alone, not a good reason to get married. Those sounds like they sound, and they're in the category of the plethora. They sound like they're right, but just to have kids, just to keep you from being alone. Has anybody in the room, honestly, they can't see your faces on camera. They can only see your, the back of your heads and, and, and your hands that you're going to raise. Has anybody ever been worried that you're just going to end up being alone? Wow. All by myself. There's your theme song, right? Everybody who just raised their hand inside the slow, what I will put on the video will be just that tune. All by myself. The fear is, is that you're going to be all by yourself, which is an absolutely horrible reason for you to want to move forward with somebody just to keep from being by yourself. I promise you, you serve a better God than that. I promise you that the reason that you're in this time together is God has someone for you and has you for someone else, and he's going to help you to do there. But you have to have the right reasons. You have to be aiming at the right things. You've got to be in the center of God's will. We are helping you to aim right at the bullseye. Somebody say, I want a bullseye. I want a bullseye. <clears throat> you want to hit right in the middle of the target, and that's what you are getting equipped to do right now. You're finding out what God is aiming you at so that you will make sure that you will not miss the target. And we're going to tell you in the weeks ahead, it means that God won't miss the target with you. See, you're thinking about being the archer and, and perhaps missing the, missing the target. He's not going to let you miss it if you actually just walk according to his will. Everybody take a deep breath. Let it out. Take a deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. Calm down. God is going to help you. He helped us. He helped the Piros, he helped the Stevens, he helped all of your elders. And at least in our case, the Sutherlands didn't know what we were doing. You already know 10 times more than what we did. 
and we found the right one. And God is going to help you to do that. So let's turn to Genesis 1 and 28 and see how he's going to do it. Say God's will whenever you're there. <laughs> Who's got the microphone? Where's it at? Bonnie. Bonnie, pass it to Timo. Timo, I want you to read Genesis 1, 28 for us. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. All right, one thing we want to look at in the slide, and Timo, you have the microphone. Help us understand the context of them in this passage. Who is the them in this passage? I speaking to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. But when was Eve created? Genesis 2. After. Genesis 2. After the fact, right? right. So when this is spoken, uh, hand the mic to uh, uh, Mandy. So when this is spoken to Adam, where exactly is Eve? Uh, Mandy's got the microphone. Not created yet. She's not created, but where is she? She floating around in interstellar space, waiting to download and populate. No, I mean, she was in his ribs. She's part of him. She was in his ribs. Ribs are always a guy's favorite. Right? She was there within his body. So whenever God spoke this about their calling, he spoke it to Adam, but didn't he also speak it to Eve? Because she resided in his body. We know from, from as, as things progress, that's from his side that she was brought out. So that's the context by which we're understanding the them portion of this. Look, God always intended the blessing of his partnership even before there was a partner to join Adam in this uh, endeavor. So I'm thinking about myself. That when I was born again, at the age of 16 years old, God began to set me in right order with the calling that he had put on my life. I didn't know yet exactly who my wife was going to be. I just knew that I had a calling that I must function in. But that later, Miss Cassidy would join me in. And what a blessing of that partnership was going to be and currently is. You know, when I first saw Miss Cassidy, I noticed her hair. That's why I was doing my hand like that. I noticed how beautiful she was, but I began to also notice how God designed her to join me in the call that I, I was designed by God to do. The whole purpose is that that one, Adam, became two, Adam and Eve. But God's goal the entire time is that that two would then become one, functioning as one in the calling that was originally spoken to both Adam and Eve. Y'all catch how beautiful that is? There was one that became two, and the two became one. God promised this to Adam. God showed the purpose of them being together before she was on the scene. Great, that's Adam and Eve. What are you supposed to take from that? You're supposed to mm -hmm. take that before you know the other one, that he has someone in mind for you. His purpose, even before they're on the scene in your life, is that two different people may come together and have a singular life. 
That should be encouraging to everybody in the room. See, you think, oh yeah, I get it. Adam and Eve, they were two and they became one. Yes. But what does it mean for you? It means that before you know that there's a partner out there, I mean, you know it, but you don't know who it is. Yeah. That it is God's purpose, just like it was for Adam. And let's take a look at some of the things that God purposed for Adam and Eve. So the first one, listen in the passage. What's that number one? Be fruitful. Be fruitful. fruitful. That the purpose of their calling jointly together was to be productive. Look, what this looks like is as the two is functioning as one in their calling, they're actually achieving what God has told them to do. Right? If you plant a seed, a tree grows up, and it is an orange tree, what do you expect for it to produce? Oranges. oranges. If it doesn't produce oranges at any point in time, is it being fruitful? No. Is it being productive? No. See, this word that God spoke of his calling to Adam while Eve was in his body, later the two becoming one in that function, God's primary and first intent was that they become fruitful. They're producing something. Now, the second one, what's on that uh, number two? Increase in number. Increase in number. So the first one that we have is about the ability to produce. Then we're talking about that constant replication of bearing fruit, increasing that number again and again and again. So you know what? In, let's say, 10 years ago, Cassidy and I, not only did we have children, but we also made a disciple. One disciple, based out of our mezuzah, propelling us into his presence. Ta-da! We're done. <laughs> no. Nope. After the, making that one disciple, what do you think the next thing is? To make another disciple and another disciple. We seek to increase in number. This is the God-ordained purpose and call for the two becoming one and as they function well that brings us to our third one fill um it, uh, you guys are, are sometimes some scholars in here does anybody know what that that meaning of fill in hebrew is male right what's some other terms that we can use for male fill yes you just tapped out right there the Ma Hebrew word male. Is male. Yes. male. No, no, it's male. It means to replenish. It means to, to fill with something that is uh, replenishing a, a, a depletion of. Well, what does that look like? It means that in Adam and Eve, God is wanting to spread the image of who he is everywhere. Look, it, and that it has absolutely nothing to do with how God feels about something. It's his desire to take who he is and dis display it uh, over and over again. Now, to put some context in this, uh, you guys are very familiar with the term BFF, right? What is BFF? Best friends forever until you text something about me to my other friends that I don't like. That's so true. I, I see the inner dialogue that's going on, right? You're my best friends forever as long as emotionally we are connected and you're doing exactly what I expect you to do. I, I got I to ask you another quick question. Does anybody have more than one BFF? Anybody in the room? Raise your hand if you have or have ever had more. 
Doesn't that kind of defeat the point of what best friend forever actually means? How many best friends forever can you have by the technical definition of the words? Not a plethora. There is no plethora that is allowed. That would be, you know, those would be really, really good friends for a, a distance of time. It is a best. best yeah. That is a singular position. A best friend forever. Yeah, all, all the women in the room are like, we don't like this teaching. <laughs> so they're saying, it, is, it, is it really forever? Like, especially in your early teenage years, is it really forever? They're, they're all yes. still in the teenage years. I said years. early. Yeah, early like for them. 10 like, yes. or whatever. Of course. The, I, I, have, I have a new, new explanation of this, an acronym for BFF. It's being fickle forever. Oh. Oh. Yes. Because it, here, here's painful. the thing. How, the way that you interact with relationships, you have to be very careful that it's not largely based on just the way that you feel. Feelings are fickle. Feelings cannot determine the, uh, the God-ordained call for two operating as one. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. A covenant is not a feeling. It is an action. A calling is not a feeling. A calling is a, an eternal lifetime commitment to action and how you relate to each other. So just to look to recap this, we start with fruitful, it's then increase in number, and then it's fill. Displaying the fact that God wants to spread who he is everywhere, displaying the eternal nature of his covenant and of his name. But then we have two additional items, action items that go right along with this. Subdue. Uh, where's the microphone at? Okay, pass it forward to Miss Olivia. Olivia, tell us what the understanding of subdue is. What's this green slide set for me? There you go. Hello. Okay. <laughs> subdue. What is subdue? To, like, take over and rule. To take over. Well, we have rule as number five, so it, it's similar. But we say, okay, um, you have an unruly customer come into a place like Sweet Puri, right? And as they enter in, they're, want, they're throwing a fit, they're picking up plates and cups, and they're tossing them around, smashing them everywhere, demanding that money be given to them so that they will stop. The police come in, and the, they gently ask him to sit down and please be quiet. No. What, what happens when the police come in? They take control of the situation. Take, and that's very technical. Take control. <laughs> control, stop, and neutralize. So, <laughs> wow. Why so the police come in. I don't know why he was aimed at the brother in the room. I don't know. I, it's in general. They have five other people right in front of them. So the police are going to come in and they're going to bind his arms, bind his legs, pin him to the ground and put handcuffs on him. They're going to wrestle him to the ground, right? Now realize that these functions are what the two are to operate as one about. Now, when it comes to operating within that call, subduing is impossible for just that one to do alone. 
that only together can they function in the call that God has ordained them to be subduing what resist God wrestling with the powers in the heavenly realms. Well, then what that then leads to is walking in the authority of number five that, that we have, uh, and that is to rule. We saw that in the scripture that they started with fruitfulness and now they're in uh, the, the last one is to rule over the fish and sea over the creation, exerting the or walking in the call of God, exerting the authority that he's given for them to to display exactly who he is. Everybody say be fruitful. See, if you can't start there, by the way, be fruitful, increase in number, which are two different things. Fill the earth and subdue it. Did anybody write your four line, your four sentence, idealized marriage based on any one of these four or particularly these four in order? Okay. We got one out of a whole group, right? If this is what God put Adam and promised Eve and said, this is what I want you to do. You want to talk about an idealized marriage. See, if you're fruitful, guess what? God can cause you to start the rest of these things. If you are personally not yet being fruitful, then why would God want you to multiply yet? <laughs> what he wants to multiply is are people who have his image at work in them and are able to join with someone else. Some of you who, are, who raised your hand earlier about being afraid to be alone, right? Let me encourage you. If God brought that person to you right this second, I mean right this second, it came, the, the heavens parted, and God said, Yea, Andrew Hayes, this shall be thy hot wife. <laughs> right? Let me ask you this. I'm going to ask Hayes because he's a grown man and he can handle me asking this. Are you ready this second to be the husband of a wife? Then why are we worried about, he says no for the camera. No, he's, no, absolutely not then Hayes should not be stressed about the timing of God bringing that person into his life. Why? Because even if God did it, would it be a gift right now? No. I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah, that's the way that you should be thinking now so that you prepare your life by being fruitful, getting ready to be able to multiply what God has done in you. And then you can replenish and refill and fill the earth. Then you could start to learn how to put the kibosh on it. You subdue it. Then you can see until you're ready, it is a gift of God for you to be single. Amen. Until you're ready to be the right kind of wife. It is a kindness that you don't have that person yet attached to your life. Can somebody say amen? amen? Do you see how those fears don't actually line up with reality? I'm afraid I'm going to be alone. Yeah, are you ready right now then? Oh no, I'm not ready. Then why are you even worried about it? You have a job before you and that's to get yourself so in the center of God's will that you know you're going to hit the target. This is good, good preaching, I promise. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to see how this continues on. Genesis 2, um, can you guys hand that microphone? Let's go with Abby, and we'll get you girls here coming up and reading in just a second. We're going to do Genesis 2, and we're going to read verses 18 through 24. Abs, if you will read 18 through 24 of Genesis 2, and then I, I might stop you here and there. Green light. There you go. All right. <laughs> Genesis 2:18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper 
suitable for him. Okay, hang on just a second. I'll keep interrupting you, so this is great. hold your place there. God said it is not good for the man to be alone. Can I tell you it's not good for you to be alone when you're functioning the way that you should? See, when you get to the point and your growth is sufficient and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're not only handling your work responsibilities, you're handling your personal discipleship, you are growing in every way. It's not good for that kind of man to be alone. It's not good for that kind of woman to be alone. He will, in fact, bring the helper that is suitable for you when you have prepared your life to be able to add someone else to it. This should help inside of your heart. I hope that you're hearing us. Inside of your own heart, you should be hearing, it's not good for that kind of man to be alone. If you're still lazy, if you're still self-seeking, if you still are dishonest about everything, if you like to hide, if you like to be off all by yourself and do stupid stuff, that kind of man should be alone. That kind of man will probably stay alone his whole life. But the ones who are doing what God wills and what God wants and what God is showing you, it's not good for that man to be alone. Why? Because that man is proving that he's got a purpose and he will fulfill it. He's cultivating the world around him. He's staying in God's presence. He he understands what he is about. He can handle his J-O-B. And honestly, it's the kind of man that God wants to multiply. Because he's demonstrating that he is reflecting God's image. See, you need to give God something to work with. Remember when we covered that in previous classes? You give God something to work with by doing exactly what he has asked you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And that will cultivate the desires that need to be there when looking for a perspective. That's that's good. Uh, Abby, would you pick it up in verse 19? Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. And for Adam, there was not, not have found a helper suitable for him. Okay, hold right there. So somebody in your own words, just tell me what is Adam doing during, this, during these few verses? What is he doing? Lord said. Say again. What the Lord said to do. Told it, he's doing exactly what the Lord told him to do, which was what? Work, yes, but specifically he was naming animals. So let's get this for a second. I want you to picture this. By the way, how long do you think it took Adam to do that? Was that like a day kind of process? 24 hours. He's done naming every creature on the planet. No. No. So he's going through and he's seeing... You know, Mr. Hippopotamus and Mrs. Hippopotamus. And he's naming them Hippopotamus, which is pretty cool. Hippopotami? Yes, Hippopotamuses. He's seeing a giraffe. He's seeing Mr. Giraffe and Mrs. Giraffe. He's seeing Mr. Duckbill Platypus and Mrs. Duckbill Platypus. He's seeing throughout creation, day after day, animal after animal, species after species. And he's seeing that they are paired And they have something that was with them and they have someone to help them. Do you think it was just random that God assigned Adam this task? Or was it part of God's instruction to help Adam see that he needed something? It was God's plan since Genesis 1. I will bless them and and help them. I'm going to say to them. 
before Eve is there. What is he trying to do? Perhaps what you are doing in your life on your workplace and in your home and in your personal study is to get you to see that there is an actual need that you have. You have a need, not just a desire for someone to keep you from being lonely, but there's a need in the function and in the call that you are going to need someone else to help you complete your call. Adam realized that there's not anybody here. There's no animal that can help me. I see them helping each other, but they can't help me. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, brought her to the man. The man said, This now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and join and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh this is incredible adam is naming each animal see in the hebrew mindset he's he's determining function he's looking at purpose he's looking at something and when you name someone my name is wade he who walks in the water <laughs> that, re that really is. When you hear the wadis of Egypt, that's why, <laughs> that's why when I'm in another country, oh, Pastor Wade. Yeah, because it's like, a, it's just a pool of water. How, how noble and <laughs> majestic, right? <laughs> a pool of water. But in the Hebrew mindset, your name was your function. See, Adam is naming these things and he's seeing that he needs the help. He's seeing that there's a lack and he understands that God causes him to fall asleep. If you're doing what God wants you to do, you can even be asleep and God's at work on your behalf. Yes. Come on now. That's good. Uh, while he was sleeping, God took from his side. Then the Lord God, verse 22, made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. God brought the woman to the man. By the way, we don't have a name yet, do we? We don't have a name yet. This is interesting. We'll come back to that thought. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. How did he know that? It doesn't say that God told him. It says that the man said, whoa! Man. <laughs> this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's nothing in all of creation like this. This one is different. She is made of the same stuff that I am. Yes. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> right from here. She shall be called woman. This is not her name. He is understanding a function. He is seeing that this is someone precious. She was taken out of man. Adam was put there first to recognize his need. Eve was brought to him. And there is a revelation that is going on. And look here in Genesis. For this reason. For what reason? The two separate people who are part of a singular call. For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother. There are no children on the planet yet. Adam does not have a father or a mother. Did he have a belly button? I don't know. <laughs> but he didn't have a father or a mother. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. How does he know about the concept of wife? And the two will become one flesh. 
it's because God had already spoken to him about purpose. He could already see the purpose in creation, and he realized that this was something special for him. Yeah. What a beautiful picture. So to get the bigger picture here, right? Could Adam be fruitful by himself? Could he increase in number by himself? Could he fill the earth by himself? Could he subdue by himself? Could he rule over the fish by himself? Yeah. So just zooming out 30,000 light year away view. Did all of this take God by surprise? No. No, but why is it that at this point in time, when Adam is naming the animals, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. See, God saw the need the entire time. He wanted Adam to see the need. And when Adam saw the need, he then could recognize what God's will was moving forward to bring him an easer, a helpmate. And notice in this passage, what God put him to sleep and then brought about his wife from him. Now, this is not an advocacy to fall asleep in church and you wake up and you'll find your wife sitting next to you not at the end of the service. That's not how this works. But what this does speak to is that he will put your soul at rest. When you are doing what God told you to do, how he told you to do it, anxiety, fear of being alone, all the other things and complications that we covered so far are laid to rest. You have find contentment. And what will happen is that his word, his arm, will bring about the right easier that you need to have to go alongside of you. So, so a couple of things I want to point out in this next slide. This first point, a single calling was given to Adam. Everybody recognize that from Genesis 1.28, them, right? Before Eve was made. But from Genesis, we see that man learned of his need for a wife in the process of doing his J-O-B. Right. We see that a man and woman were originally one and that when married, they leave their respective families and then become one. See, that uh, understanding that we're giving you is starting to show you the trajectory of what you're aiming at is that God is going to uh, bring about the spouse that you need to accomplish the call that he has for your life. And that what that will require is at one point in the future is to then separate from one, what once identified you and then become one with the spouse that was given you. Now, one of the aspects that we want to bring about is when there is the, um, the dating atmosphere, or as in LCM, the courting atmosphere, because the, the, the intent is marriage the whole time. The tendency is to project something that you're really not, to project an identity, an image. You're going to wear these kind of clothes. You're going to put on this kind of makeup. Guys, you're going to just douse your bodies with all of these Axe body sprays or whatever it is in these, these day and times. Just take a shower. Yeah, just soap. Soap and shampoo. Praise God for those two things and stay with it. But whether it be externally or even internally, you're projecting an identity that once you're married, it all goes away. Because what you're really doing is that you're showing a false identity as an 
a means to an end to just get what you want to satisfy the fear of being alone or whatever else that there is. So that idea of leaving out from your mother or your father or mother's household and become united together is that you're going to stay in the calling and function and J-O-B that God originally gave you. And that way God will entrust someone to you that's going to be genuine and sincere who they are single, but now joined in the unification of marriage. And that's the same same uh, identity of character that's joining you. Has anybody ever misrepresented yourself because you wanted somebody to think something yes. of you? Yes. You can misrepresent yourself both directions. You can try to say or do something that you think would be impressive. Or you could try to stay quiet so they won't realize that you're not what you're hoping that you think they are. Mm -hmm. I, could, I could go down the row and point each one of you and tell you which one of those two that you are. But the authenticity. See, when we talked earlier about having a BFF, you, you guys, uh, you know, we're like, no, we can have more than one. No, 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 no. What we're trying to get you to understand is the actual technical definition of best friend forever is singular. It's the one for you. Yeah. See, when you have that one, then you don't have to rep misrepresent yourself in every way. There, right. In any way, there's an authenticity that's there. So that you can walk in the authority and the calling that God has for you. You know, it, it's been a joy to see this process develop in several of the couples that are now married. And watching them lay aside uh, their expectations, their goals, and their fears. Literally putting them on the altar. The relationship on the altar. Only to leave it in God's hands to bring about. And then God fulfill it by the right time when the husband is focused on his uh, priority of seeing in singleness as a gift and the task that God's given him. It developed the character that was needed so that he could have an easier join them and they become fruitful and multiply. Well, I see that couple now. And one half of that couple is my daughter who left my household to join the identity of her husband. And what I saw is this the same daughter that I had, but now joined with her husband, she's actually increased in her fruitfulness in every way, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What's happening now? I'm watching her and her husband work together to begin to walk in the same multifaceted call that we read about in Genesis 1.28. Sydney, would you take the microphone and you're going to read for us? Everybody's going to turn to Genesis 3, 15. This new entity under heaven that is a husband and a wife. As a matter of fact, you'll hear it in our uh, closing of most of our wedding ceremonies. It is our great joy to present to you a new entity under heaven. Mr. and Mrs. No, no, no. Yes, no, no, that's no. our next one. That's Hebrew, yeah. Yeah, the Hebrew couple that we just met. Um, you'll hear us say that because they are now something established that's new. They're no longer the children of such and such. They are primarily the husband and wife. That is their primary role and their primary function. Uh, Sydney, would you read Genesis 3, 15? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay. 
So we see here that in this passage, this is Genesis 3. This is when the fall occurs. What, what happens in the fall? Somebody grab a microphone and quickly explain the fall in Genesis 3. Nick, get it. Eve eats the forbidden fruit. Yeah, blame it on that woman. Get in there. Eve, she eats the fruit. All women are evil. And then what happens? Then they realize that they're naked. You, you skipped one. I, I, I like oh, where my sorry, brother's sorry. going, though. He's like, <laughs> it's the woman. <laughs> it's all her fault. And then they realized. Uh, she, okay. she gave the fruit to Adam. She gave the fruit to Adam. And Adam ate. And then they realized that they had sinned. Right? So what happens here? This is actually, I'm glad you, you brought that out because you can look at it. How many people think it was Eve's fault that sin entered the world? Oh, yeah, we got, we got one. You're going to have to answer. You're going to have to pick a side. I'm going to ask you whether you think it was Eve or Adam, okay? How many think it was Eve that brought sin into the world? Three. How many think it was Adam? Oh. Okay. So, so Eve... Yeah, yeah. David Bonham says, we've just been taught well. We know. See, the problem was is that they were both, and it was actually Adam that was given the instruction. Don't eat of this. He did not rightly pastor and cultivate his own wife. And what happened was is she was deceived because she didn't have the right kind of leadership going on in her home. There was a failure in leadership. She was the first to sin, but she was deceived. The Bible is clear about it. She was deceived first, but Adam then was not deceived and partook of it. See, the answer really is, is they both sinned and brought sin into the world. And immediately after you get this, this understanding of their purpose in the world, then what you happen is immediately after the fall, the battle plans are revealed. Okay. Sometimes it is not your strength that God needs. Most of the time, it is not your strength that God needs. No. All of the time, it is not your strength that God needs. What he does is you will find some of the sweetest times that you've ever had after times when you have failed. After you have times where you have proven yourself to be weak and you just can't do it. So many times in the book of Genesis, the term El Shaddai, the God who is enough. Do you know when he reveals himself as the God who is enough? It's after Abraham has made a mistake. Yeah. He reminds him, he comes to him as the God who is enough. Uh, Isaac, you know when, when God reveals himself to Isaac that he's the God who is enough? It's after Isaac has messed up and he reminds him that his purpose hasn't changed. You know when Jacob finds out that God is El Shaddai, the God who is enough? It's when he's messed up. See, when Adam and Eve messed up, there's a battle plan. The God who is enough, he comes in and he's already showing them what this battle plan must be. And it's the verse that we just read. I will put enmity. That's a funny word. Enmity. He will make you guys be enemies. among. He will cause a, a hatred to be there between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, her offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, there was a breakdown in the shalom. There was a breakdown in the right order. But God immediately starts to begin to reveal a battle plan of how to fix it. Um, anybody ever broken something? 
It's nice when you break something and you know how to fix it. Anybody ever broken something and you have no idea how to fix it? A car. All the time. I drop stuff all the time and it's just done, right? I'm just kind of clumsy. I just... There's something about having something broken and you not know how to fix it or resolve the situation. God is coming in right here to give a resolution to this. You see that on the slide it says it takes two to tango. When it takes two to tango, that means it took both Adam and Eve to be involved in this. But God has a plan and it's through offspring. It is through offspring that God is going to do this because the marriage Right after it's designed, it's immediately attacked. But the solution is, and we're going to keep working through the solution. The solution has to do with offspring. Take a look at the next slide. So before we go there, realize the, 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 the storyline so far, what we're covering. In Genesis you know, 1, 2, and 3. That you have the ideal marriage. You're, there's only one guy. <laughs> there's only one girl. You're fashioned by God for each other, and there's no other comparison. You're placed in a garden to do the work and call that God has given you, and it immediately comes under attack. Do you realize? Do you, I'll make sure you guys get that. The ideal marriage that God set up came under immediate attack, but that then further revealed God's battle plan and how he was going to use that ideal marriage to confront the issues that are at hand. So the, the next slide, it, this begins to outline the roles of the partners in the venture. And just to let you guys know, uh, a lot of these uh, uh, gifts, or not gifts, but uh, clip arts, uh, were put together for Chloe's baby dedication. So almost 16 year, years ago or so, these things were put together. All right, so I, I need a... a a woman with a microphone is going to read Genesis 3.16. And then a guy. Uh, so who's got the microphone now? Coco. How appropriate. Amen. <laughs> then it needs to go to a dude who will read Genesis 3.17-19. Let's first start with Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay, so this is occurring after the fall. Right? Uh, going to the next point, they were naked. And they knew that they were naked. They've been naked the whole time, really. But they knew that they were naked. Their sin now at, at work, and God is confronting them. And he speaks to the woman. Now, we want you to understand the premise of what God says to the woman and to the man. Notice he doesn't curse them. He is speaking to their role as partners in the venture of what he has originally called them to do. And he's actually creating a deeper level of dependency that they will have on the Lord and each other. It's not a curse. It's a blessing that further ensures that they're going to walk out their call. Just real quick. The reason that we're making sure that we want you to get that point is if you hear teaching outside of this church, I've heard many times in my own life, the woman was cursed. The woman was not cursed. No. That's not what this says. This is the solution. The man was not cursed. The serpent was cursed. The ground was cursed. But the men and the women, the man and the woman was not cursed. 
in any way. They were given the solution to their problem of how to get back right and walking with the Lord. We want you to understand that because everywhere, uh, most other places in the Christian world think and they look at these as curses from God instead of the solutions from him. So the way that this needs to be viewed is that God was speaking to the function and the role of the woman. So I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Well, number one, that speaks to the fact that there were originally pains in childbearing. They just increased. So God is deepening a dependency that she would have on the Lord and her husband to help her through these things. And he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Another way to say it is that you will desire to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. I'm going to speak to, to ladies' hearts. I mean, I, I, I raise, in the process of raising girls, I have somewhat of a good idea of how you guys function, what makes you tick. And I can tell you right now that if you desire to have a man that you can rule over and that he will not lead you, that you can manipulate him like a puppet master, that is not going to be the kind of man that will have a call that you join and you are fruitful, increase, fill, subdue, and rule with. God's favor will not be on that. You will not bring forth life that will produce godly fruit. It'll bring nothing but death. You will actually despise and hate that man, but also love the fact that you can control and rule over him. See, the enemy is at constant work to disrupt and distort God's original design for the way that a man and woman function together in their call. And what God is doing here is showing a promise of a deepened level of dependency that ensures that his call will be complete in the proper way of shalom between the two. Just real quick. You, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing or raising children mm -hmm. as well as just the birthing process. Mm -hmm. Think about it. If you can have an epidural and not have pain, then is this verse done? No. There's no medical practice that can get around this part of it. There's a pain in the physical part, yes, but there's a pain in your heart as you're raising kids. But it's that kind of labor there. Pardon, pardon the pun. That kind of labor in your heart that is working something into you that is good for you. Where Adam was naming the animals and realized he had a need. When a woman is raising children, she starts to have an understanding of the need that she has for her husband to help her. See, this is the answer. In other words, let's, let's put it very plainly. A primary role for women is for you to become an extraordinary mother. Yeah. An extraordinary mother is what you should be shooting at. That's the only target that you're really shooting at here is for you to be able to do that. See, let's take a look at the men's perspective on here. Um, give me somebody with Andrew Hayes. I like it, Hayes. You're getting bold here. Let's read Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Hello. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. 
since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Okay, so see, we have here that the ground is cursed. There's a curse on the ground. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require painful toil for you to eat of it all the days of your life. For the rest of time, this is what it looks like. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, for your sake. For your sake, the difficulty. The reason that Juan has to work so hard on the job is because there's something about us working hard as men that causes the right kind of things to be birthed inside of us. When you get and you have a task, no matter what that is, if it's incredibly physical or you even on the office jobs, what you have is you have that desire to work. And the reason that things don't just come out easily is because it's necessary for you. By the sweat of your brow, by the sweat that pours off of your nose, you get to eat food. And it's reminding you that you were formed from the dust, but you were also had God breathed into you. See, while their primary role for a woman is to be an extraordinary mother, men, you should be looking for women. You should be looking at the woman that you might be interested in and considering what type of mother she would be. Not just how beautiful she is, not just how shapely and formally she is, but whether this person is the right kind of mother. That part combined with what God has in you is going to help you to get to the right target. Look what it says here in very general terms. You can see that their restoration would come as the husband worked to provide for the family and the wife produced godly offspring. This is not just some old-timey picture of what life is. It's the actual function that Genesis sets out. Do you realize we haven't gotten out of Genesis yet? We're, we're still in the third chapter of Genesis. We found out what your purpose on the planet is, how you're supposed to engage with each other as a man and a woman, and the whole purpose is you're aiming at having godly offspring. If you're going to be fruitful through these things, then God will allow you to increase in number. That's the way that this is going to work out so that you can see. Because if the primary role for a woman is to be an extraordinary mother, then the primary role for a man should be aiming at being a priest and a provider in your home. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give that to you again because you guys need to write this down. Especially if you're a man in this room, you need to write this down. Okay? If you're not writing down, you're failing this class and failing the Lord. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Get it. This is the main point. Primary role for women is to be what? To be an extraordinary mother. To be an extraordinary mother. The primary role for men is to be aimed at being a priest and a provider in your home. Do you see that we are taking that from the actual text of Genesis 3? This is, we are aiming you at the target that the word of God is telling you to aim at. No matter what the world says around you that actually wants to lessen the fact if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're a mother, that concept in our world is looked down upon and it has been for, for decades. And yet it's the very purpose of why God is causing you to come together with a husband. Husbands, your main job is to be a priest and a provider in your home, for your wife, and the entire household that you develop. Anything else, you might be able to be a provider, but you won't be a priest unless you're doing this right. That was the generation before me. Let's go out and work as much as we can, get as much money, and kind of give it back to the wife so that the home keeps running, but I'll be away somewhere. That's not being the kind of provider that we're talking about. Your job is to be a priest 
and a provider. I want to cover a couple of things uh, before we move on. It's, it's really important to understand these two points or major roles and functions of the, the, the guy and the girl. So I covered earlier about girls, you wouldn't want a guy that you could puppeteer and control, right? Guys, you wouldn't want a woman who just wants to be 18 for the rest of her life and never bring forth children. That is an idolatrous woman that is self-centered and doesn't want anything but to consume life and not bring forth life. So when we're looking at the godly roles that are here, that ladies, the highest calling that you have by God is to be an extraordinary mother, to be an M, an E-M, which is actually the Hebrew word for mother. It is your God-given design, and he will empower and anoint you to be an extraordinary mother. Look, that as far supersedes being a worship leader, as far supersedes any other call that's out there, your primary and highest accomplishment is raising up godly offspring. Now, guys, when we say priest and provider, like Pastor was saying, it is so much more than bringing home the bacon. It's bringing home the word of God that sustains your entire household. Ladies, would you want a man that never washes you with the word? Would you want a man that, that cannot lead you to repentance? No, not at all. So look, as that courtship is happening, if the guy cannot lead you in the word to repentance before marriage, it's not going to happen after marriage. That's a huge point. And ladies, if you can't follow his leadership into repentance before marriage. It's not going to happen after marriage either without some heavy discipline by the Lord to get that straight. So when we're looking at being priest and being provider, guys, this is your highest call. This is your first and primary ministry is that you are to lead your home in a way that fulfills the call that was originally given to Adam and Eve prospectively. You're supposed to bring forth life out of your home. And if it's not, it's not her fault or her fault alone. It is your fault. So learning how to bring forth life now, being the priest of who, what you have responsibility for, and bringing provision from God's word now is what's going to pre prepare you to bring forth life as a priest and provider of a, a wife. See how silly it would be to focus on where you're going to go out for a date which movie you're going to go watch. Do you realize that the much bigger function there is men in this room? Are you washing her with the word? Are you leading her? Are you pastoring her? Wait, I'm not a pastor. You sure are when you get married. You sure you are when you are in that process. That's the role. Wives, are you being a good, are you preparing yourself to be a excellent bride and an extraordinary mother? That is the function when you are courting someone. That is what you're focused on. Is this compatible? If their purposes, if you're not unsure of your purpose, are your purposes compatible? It, could you walk together in, 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 in agreement in one direction here? Right. If you could, then are you able to lead and follow each other in your proper functions? 
That's what you're trying to do to see if this is the one that God has you aimed at. Let's take a look, look at the next slide. Uh, somebody read to me Genesis 3 and verse 20. Whoever is closest to the mic, grab the mic and read Genesis 3 and verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. First of all, Adam is going back to his day job, right? He named all the animals and he gets to her and she's no longer just woman. She's no longer just functionally speaking a man with a womb, right? <laughs> a woe man, right? He is now, Adam heard everything that was said. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, woman, that you need to have, and it's through childbearing and through your desiring the rulership of your husband and him leading you, that you're going to be blessed and get back to right standing. Husbands, it's going to be when you're working hard and the, spread, the sweat of your brow that you're going to be able to get your life back right and lead her correctly as a priest and a provider. Adam heard this, and Adam didn't hear a curse. No. People in our day and time may teach it that way, but they are so wrong, it's, it's undeniable. Adam heard it and said, what? You mean you gave us the solution? You mean that we were, we were shamed by our sin and you told us how to fix this? You told me to be a priest and a provider and you told her to be an excellent wife and mother and that's the solution to the entirety of mankind? Yes, yes it is. He's so excited that he names her Eve because she would become the mother of the living. What he heard and how Adam responded shows that he understands, ah, ah, it's through these offspring. You're going to do in us something that we must reproduce in them. And when we do that, it is the goal of what we're doing. The foremost purpose in marriage is to produce the offspring, to produce the very fruit that would in fact crush the enemy's head and bring life to all of mankind. When you have children, after you get married and you have children, your goal is that you're not just having offspring, but that you're producing the same kind that you are. Why is discipleship so important? Because we see in discipleship the replica that's not just the physical DNA, but it's a spiritual DNA. And parenting, you must do both. Have the physical and be training the spiritual. And when you can do that in an ongoing, ever-going kind of way, you understand that you have hit at a core principle that God has put from the time of Adam and Eve forward. That should blow your mind that this was the plan that God had. Here's sin in the world. I got a plan. I mean, I know it's going to be Jesus. But the way that we're going to get to Jesus is we're going to have husbands who love and are the priest and provider for their homes. Amen. We're going to have wives who really love their husbands and their children. And they're excellent at both. That's my plan. That's God's plan is to work through this by making offspring. Strong marriages that produce incredible families. This is the primary reason that marriage is under immense attack. You guys are living in a day and time where they, you can't even decide. We can't even decide whether men are men or women are women. It's no longer about a man laying down his coat to make sure that you don't step in a puddle. You're like, what are you talking about? No, that's called chivalry. That's what they used to do. If it was raining outside, there was never a man who was worth his, his merit that would not find and get himself soaking wet to have an umbrella over your pretty and dainty little heads. 
a gentleman who would open a door for a woman. Yeah. We are so far beyond that. We literally have men who say that they're women, women who are running races and winning. I am now the world-class sprinter. You're a dude. I beat every woman out there. I man. beat every woman out there. Thanks, Christina, Chris, <laughs> Pat. <laughs> you know, hey, this is the plan, guys. This is more than just a singles class. This is you understanding a large and broad perspective of the kingdom here. You know, whenever uh, I'm thinking about the passage we just covered, so you have the fall, you have God speaking words about their roles and function and restoration. Notice Adam's ability to demonstrate discernment. He heard God's word and he stepped up and began to walk in his role. He said, oh, you're the mother of the living. I'm going to name you. I see your function. I see exactly how God is going to fulfill his call in our life. Ladies, do you want a man who can have, show discernment? Who can hear from God, especially after something goes wrong? He knows how to hear the voice of God and bring about restoration. That's what being a priest and a provider looks like. Well, like Pastor was saying earlier, marriages are under attack now more than any other time before. Because as far as I've ever considered and studied science and biology, is that we have X and we have Y chromosomes. We do not have a third called Z chromosomes. That the very nature of our gender is under attack because it's aimed at bringing the cessation of the original call and function that God gave to Adam and Eve, that godly offspring cannot be produced. Well, we want to, uh, to see something in the word that illustrates a lot of this controversy. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Who's got the mic? Nick, you'll read it for us. We'll, we'll interrupt you many, many times. Actually, Nick has already read a couple times. If he you sure don't mind, yes, Pastor, let's pass let's, along. Let's let, uh, let's let Bethany grab it just so we can get. I hadn't heard from Bethany yet today. Beth, with an awesome Jeep t-shirt. Yes. First Timothy 2, we'll start in verse 8. We'll probably stop you a few times, so just be ready. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. First Timothy. First Timothy. First Timothy 2. All scripture is good. It's all God. Yeah, that was wonderful. We were looking for this. He rose from the dead. First Timothy 2. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the woman to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay, let's stop right there for just a second. I want men everywhere to be so hot, to be so smoking, <laughs> that you get everyone else's attention. No. Those are unguarded strengths perhaps that you have see ladies wouldn't you like to to find a man to have know that god is pairing you with a man who has holy hands lifted up in prayer who's not angry and disputing all the time man that's exactly what you want that, I, that's a jerk the, the other version of that unholy yeah. hands anger and disputing that's a jerk <laughs> likewise for the ladies i also want women to dress modestly 
You cannot let the strength of your physical beauty be unguarded. You want to have a guarded strength, not an unguarded strength, which becomes a double weakness. I want dress modestly with decency and propriety. Those are kind of older time words. What's decency? Things that are good, things that are decent. What is with propriety? You, you under, <laughs> they're like, That's we have good no answer. idea. I don't know. Uh, we don't please. know. It's, it is a plethora of things we do not understand. <laughs> propriety. You are improper. You understand the context of where you are, what's going on, and what you should be and how you should be engaging with, engaging with the environment around you. You're proper. You have propriety. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls. Uh-oh. Miranda. No more braiding hair. Every time I see Miranda, she's braiding <laughs> somebody's hair. Or expensive clothes, but with good deeds. Do you understand the point is not the specific fashion that's going on here, but it's that what should you be dressed with? Something that's appropriate, something that's decent and, and has propriety, but you should be dressed with what, ladies? According to verse uh, 10. You should be dressed with good deeds. And not just good deeds as you define them, but good deeds that are appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Do you see the context of both the men and the women? It's a worshipful lifestyle. Holy hands lifted up in prayer. That idea is designed to think and to cause you to think about someone who is worshiping and living a lifestyle, not just walking around like this. What up? You mean besides your hands? No, he's talking about someone who is living. Men, to have holy hands lifted in prayer. If you didn't appreciate this verse before, you should understand what it is without anger or disputing. And by the way, you can be angry and not be yelling at someone else. Anybody? No, I'm not going to ask you to raise that. Raise your hand. There are some of you who have a kind of a rage thing that goes on inside. It's not so much outside as it is just like a an anger that builds up. Somebody says something to you, somebody does something, and you're like... <laughs> Rage on the inside, boiling, seething, and nothing is going on much on the outside. See, men, you're supposed to have... I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing, whether that's external or internal. Ladies... To not only have you dressed appropriately clothing-wise so that you have a guarded strength, but that you're dressed with good deeds. Amen. Appropriate for women who say that they actually and profess that they worship the Lord. Bethany, pick it back up in verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach, to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Okay, for so we'll stop right there, just verse 11 and 12. We want to bring some clarity to the, this exact passage. All right, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. Now, clearly, we know from God's character and throughout the Word of God, this does not mean that women everywhere just need to shut up, sit down, and be told what to do. That's not the function of an easer. But what it does mean is that this word quietness means a stillness of the soul. Now, once again, being a father of four daughters, I would begin to learn is 
how much activity of uh, self-deprecation goes on in a woman's mind. Always picking out the flaws of what's wrong with you and these degrading thoughts that cause fear and anxiety that you don't have value. So when we put this in context of the scriptures that's above it, right? Not to adorn yourself outwardly with gold and braided hair and whatever else, but instead with deeds. Then this is, ladies, this is a means for you to measure how much effort, thought, and uh, time do you spend about worrying about every little adornment of how you look and how you dress versus the actual time spent being concerned with doing the righteous deeds that you should do? Do you spend hours and hours in front of a mirror getting every little thing ready so you can present yourself well? Or is it getting yourself in right order on the inside and outside so that you can be focused on how to serve the body of Christ rather than serving the image that you want to project? And so this quietness of soul is what Paul is speaking to so that you can be in right order and receive the right revelation and instruction from God. And what he's addressing here is that he does not permit a woman to have authority over a man. So what we see in other parallel scriptures in the Newer Testament is that you have older women teaching the younger women. But you do not have older women, women making disciples of men, not exerting or usurping that authority. So he's laying out the right order of shalom, of interaction here, so that everyone knew exactly what their function was. Now, you, the top, top of the slide says arcane or progressive. Our progressive is just a really nice word of saying anti-biblical. And they say that these views, they mean our society in day and age, these are arcane as if they're old, stale, rotting bread on a shelf that we need to go find something else to replace it. Not at all. This is a tried and true principle of the kingdom that has brought about righteous fruit and offspring since the time of Genesis 1 on forward. So, yeah. So, the... the <laughs> The whole point is that she must be silent. It's walking in a manner that is a quietness of soul so that you can receive what God wants to give you that instructs you and edifies you and keeps everything in right order. Ladies, is it true that you need help sometimes controlling your thoughts and your emotions? Yes. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Men in the room, what you should be hearing Pastor was addressing primarily the ladies there, but he's also very giving very, very clear instruction to you. The husbands, the men have to learn how to quiet the internal chaos of a woman's thoughts. Yes. This is a righteous act that we have. You can't just go, she's crazy. I'm going to go hang out somewhere else. I'm going to go hang out with the fellas. I'm out. Peace. <laughs> I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to go anywhere else but here. Yeah, it is your job to help control. So what does that mean for you? It means that you have to be so in tune with the spirit yes. that you're able to have yourself in a quietness internal, a stillness, a calmness is another way to say it. Yeah. So that you can help lead your wife one day through these exact things that we're talking about. This is why 
a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Quietness of spirit. You'll hear if Miss Joe walks forward in the church service, I don't know if you guys see it, we just hand her the microphone if she's going to prophesy. Carte blanche. Don't, I don't even ask her. She's standing there. I just hand her the mic and turn it on for her. If when Cassidy will come forward and have something for the church, we don't stop her. Well, she's, she's teaching a man. No, she's not. She has submitted to her husband, and we trust that women can absolutely hear from the Lord. But the women that we are allowed to do those things are especially submitted to their husbands. Natalie Aragine. There are are lots of women. There are women who will prophesy in tongues in this house. We don't stop them. We don't rebuke them. We just say, thank you, Lord, for speaking. This is about an authority issue. Let's keep going. Uh, Bethany, let's pick up in verse 13 through 15. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. See, people want to use this passage to say Paul was like a male chauvinist or something. Women should just shut up and that's not at all what he's doing. He's actually taking it back to the original design. Yeah. Paul is brilliant here. He's saying Look, Adam was not the one deceived. Adam was formed first. God could have made them simultaneous. He could have made Eve first, but that's not the way that it happened. He made Adam. Adam had to learn of his need, and then he provided Eve. That's the way that it worked. That is the order. You didn't choose. (laughs) You can't actually choose your gender. No matter what the world tries to tell you, that if you feel very feminine today, no. If you feel very masculine, no, stop it. It's gay. (laughs) see Adam was made first then Eve God was showing you something about the pattern he was showing and Paul is calling that to mind Adam was not the one deceived it was the woman she was deceived and became a sinner if you're going to take this passage you could have said earlier that I think that it's Eve that was the one that was first and I and I'm going to point to this passage of scripture but the point was is that it took both of them to tango in that but the woman, but women will be saved and restored through childbearing. There's a process that works inside of their hearts through this process if they continue. It's not just the child rearing or the childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. There's that propriety word again. Let's take a look at the next slide. Somebody who hasn't spoken yet. Thank you, Nia Sheridan, for um, volunteering. Read the first point on the screen. Paul understood the pattern. He is teaching that women everywhere are saved in the same hope as Eve, that her role in being helped to Adam's call would produce the enemy's defeat. See, it wasn't just Eve's call. Paul is making sure that we understand that this is a that this is the call for women. This is the call for them to be able to achieve what God has. Somebody else who hasn't had the microphone yet, read the next point. For this to happen, everyone needs to understand and embrace their roles. Yeah, you've got to absolutely understand that this is God's plan. This is part of the target that you must be shooting at because just because many, many people around you want to give you a different perspective, you can't disregard what God has said. The beautiful, sacred nature of being a good mom and raising a godly family. There are people in our fantastic, incredible church And we have to remind some of the women, all I'm doing is changing diapers. 
all I'm doing. I, my husband gets to go and they're reading the word and they're doing this. And all I get to do is raise children. I can't wait to be in ministry. For pe and people say that to us actually much more than you would think in our church. So if we know that our church can have hearts like this, we're trying to train you rightly. They should be looking at it and going, I'm being like Eve. I am finding the way to have salvation and restoration come in my life. I am finding ways to be just walking in exactly what God has for me to be. And it's beautiful. It's noble. It's not just a diaper I'm changing. I'm changing the heart of my child and they will be just like God. Man, what a noble, noble thing. And when you guys can get this settled in your heart now, it's incredible. Uh, next point. Next person. Jesus has already come. Wasn't it all finished at the cross? The body of Christ is not complete yet. Your children, works, and fruit are meant to help complete it. You understand what this point is saying? Hey, didn't Jesus do it all when he died on the cross? No, he made it all available to us. But we still have to actually carry out the original design, the original plan, the original target that God had. See, you cannot disregard God's instructions. You can't disregard it just because our society wants to take it somewhere else. Notice, man and woman are not independent of each other. Yeah. They have to work together for Christ to triumph on the earth. That's what it means by the body of Christ is not yet complete. Christ did and he completed a work, but then we're still seeing, we're still the army that is going out to take advantage of the victory that he won so that the entirety of creation is one, that his cosmos, God so loved the world, God so loved his ordered creation that he sent his only son. This is what we're doing so that we can have our children, our, our works, the fruit that we produce be essential in completing God's plan on the earth. Let's turn to John chapter 10 and verse 10. Look, as you're turning there, we want you to realize the overall implication whenever people do not embrace their roles that God gave them. What's at stake is the will of God. So as you're thinking about our society and how everyone has disregarded, thrown off their roles, God-given roles of the way that they function as a man and woman and as a husband and wife, you see that the will of God is being degraded. It's being obstructed. And what we're trying to do in this house is raise up generations who do know and embrace their roles so the will of God will happen here at LCM on the earth as it is in heaven. So who's at John 10.10? You are. Hand the microphone back. Miss Abby will read it, and JoJo will come back to you. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So we see here clearly that from the slide, the joint venture is attacked. From the very beginning, where we started in Genesis, in particular in chapter 3, that the thief comes to steal, to only steal, kill, and destroy. And that he's been working to kill, steal, and destroy the design that God has ordained for a husband and wife to function it. You guys remember that back in Genesis, sin came in and there was an immediate 
There was an immediate attack on the marriage, and God had to come and give the solution. John 10.10 is really saying the same thing. The thief only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's going to try to work to steal the promises of God. How does he steal something from you, though? Isn't that he gets you pointed at the wrong target? He gets you thinking the wrong things. He gets you expecting the wrong things. He tries to force you to move now when God has not said that. And he gets it. And the promise that God has, the goal that God has, from the very beginning, he gets to steal it from people. Well, how does he's work? He's stolen the promises of God from our very hearts. He's worked to kill the fruit of our efforts, the literal fruit, our actual children, and the figurative source of our redemption. Think about what the enemy was trying to do when it comes to Cain and Abel. You have right at the beginning, you have uh, a man and a woman. They're understanding this. They're hearing it, and God says, "You're going." Uh, I'm sorry, Adam names the woman Eve and says, you're going to become the mother of the living. In the very next generation, what do you have happen? You have murder. You have the enemy literally trying to come in and steal the promise from them, deceive them, cause them to sin, and then kill their own actual children. That is always the plan. And if he can't do it to your physical children, then what he's going to do it is, is get at the source, is get at you being fruitful and reproducing the same kind and quality that are produced in the generation before. I want to give some practical examples of this. So how exactly does the devil steal, kill, and destroy in a way that uh, takes or robs you of the promises of God in your heart? Uh, raise your hand if you ever had your heart broken over a relationship, not over something silly, right? Those time periods, let's say before Christ, Whenever sin is running rampant in your life and it's relationship after relationship or maybe just one that you were clinging to and it was full of idolatry, uh, fornication, maybe even adultery for some of you. And when it was ended, your heart was shredded. You felt like there was no hope of ever being restored again or ever trusting anyone from that point forward. That was the enemy stealing, killing, and destroying the hope of promises of what a covenant would look like eventually. But Jesus came to give life and give life abundantly to restore that brokenness that's in the heart. But we want you to understand that it's not simply us taking a, a, a point of view that says we're not going to date at LCM. There's a reason we're not going to date. Because we're not going to give the devil the opportunity to come in and steal the promises of God from your heart. Broken heart after broken heart in our house under our watch. We're going to set you on the course of the biblical target. The trajectory outlined by the word of God. So that you don't have the promises stolen from your heart. Do you want to be protected in this venture? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the way that relates to children as well is that... Well, as that joint venture is carried out by a mother and father, as parents, we have to oversee and make sure that the satanic stratagems are not worming their way into our homes, looking to destroy the promises in our children as well as in our own covenant. Yeah. The enemy comes to steal the promises of God from your hearts. He's worked to kill the fruit of your life. And he's worked to destroy the marriage covenant. Even if you stay married. 
He's working to destroy the actual covenant between a husband and wife to fulfill the function that God has. But Jesus came so that you can have life and have it to the full. So you can have it abundantly is the, is the original translation that I learned it out of. By the way, you want to know what an abundant life is? Is when you're walking not just as half of a calling, but you have the fullness of what God has for you. You're walking with the right spouse. You're producing the right kind of kids. That is a life that is to the full and can't be any more full. You're overflowing with God's presence. Yeah. Let's all turn to Malachi chapter 2. We just have just a few minutes left together today. And we're going to finish strong with three powerful verses that we're going to talk through. And then we're going to give you some homework. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. Somebody who has not read yet, grab the microphone. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. Another thing you do, you flood the, the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accept those with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her through she is your partner. Though she is your partner. The wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made made them one in flesh and spirit are his, are his and why one because he is seeking godly offspring so so guard yourself in the spirit and do do not break faith with your wife of your youth I hate divorce says the Lord God of Israel and I hate a man's covenant, uh, coveting himself with violence, well as his garment. Yeah, you got it. As his garment. You got it right there. Verse 15 says, has not the Lord made them one? He made the two into one. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. Well, that's an important part. We're not just talking about a physical intimacy. You're seeing in flesh and spirit that covenant has been made and they belong to the Lord. And why does God make the two one? What does the word of God say? And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. The purpose, the function that he has is for them to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill and replenish the earth, to subdue it, to rule over it. This is why God is there, because he was seeking godly offspring. Why does the enemy try so hard to destroy the marriage covenant? Why, does, why is divorce so prevalent in our society? Because it is a direct opposition to God's desire. Why did he make two into one? To produce godly offspring, not just to have kids but to produce in their children godliness, to produce godly offspring. There can be different definitions of the word adultery. But in the Hebrew concept, the idea of it is an awful tearing apart. Adultery, the actual meaning in Hebrew, is more about an awful tearing apart. Why do you think that we are saying it's so important that you stay sexually and have your heart pure before you get married. 
Why? Because you're actually having adultery going on in your life before you get married when you have sexual encounters with people. You are attaching your heart to somebody and then tearing it apart. Attaching and tearing apart. Attaching and tearing apart. Pretty soon you don't, you're not left with anything that's very valuable to anyone else. See, this idea, if the word debak was used about the union and two people uniting and becoming one. It's the, it's the Hebrew word that they currently use for superglue. They use it in modern society. They didn't have a word for it. So the Hebrews just said, yeah, it's the same word as uniting like a husband and a wife. Then adultery is tearing it apart. And that's what's seen here in Malachi because it's God's design. It's why he puts two people together. It's part of this target that you have to understand Understand and zero in on. Um, this is an unending covenant that God has. Once it started, this is not about like friends. Uh, we've moved a couple of times in our lives. And we had friends that we thought we would never, we would never cease. And the day that we moved was the last time that they ever reached out to us. We were like, oh, we thought y'all were friends. But it had a shelf life. It ended because of a physical distance. See, these are the kind of commitments, they're eternal covenants that God has for you to make. Your entire life, your entire life here on this earth is to produce. This is why God hates the divorce, because it tears people apart. We're trying to teach you the right principles so that you never have to feel that, go through that, or even have that be a part of your life. Yeah. Um, Chris, why don't you turn to Mark chapter 10 and read for us verse 6 through 9. You guys still awake? Yes. yes. Singleness is a yes. gift. Gift. Amen. Read it whenever you get it. Mark yes, sir. 10, 6 through 9. But at the beginning of creation god made them male and female for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one therefore what god has joined together let man not separate let man not separate now coming from the idea that we just read about malachi that what god was seeking was godly offspring right godly offspring that came from the fulfillment of the God-designed role of a husband and wife to produce that godly offspring. So this is a reference now in Mark where Jesus is restating what we originally read in Genesis. There's not to be marital division of any kind. Any kind. I want you to realize how important it is, what's there in parentheses in the slide, of any kind. You know what this means practically? In my marriage, there isn't Matt, Matt's calling and separately Cassidy's calling. It's our calling. Because what God longs for and is designed for us to do is produce godly offspring as the two are operating as one. And what God has debacked together, let not man separate. So, Pastor related earlier. That word debauch is superglue. Has anybody ever superglued your fingers together by accident or maybe on purpose? 
either way. Uh, if you didn't have access to acetone or nail polish remover or whatever uh, is a dissolvent for that, did anyone just ever try and separate your fingers? And what happens? It rips your skin off. It's an awful tearing. And then you have to put another kind of Band-Aid uh, super glue to bond back together. But the whole idea is that what God has debocked together, it cannot be separated. So in, in your targeting of what God is going to do in the future by giving you a spouse, is that the, the goal that God has is that you are glued together. You are super glued together because you are designed by God to operate as one. You cannot go into the covenant, that enduring and eternal covenant, with the idea that I get to be my own individualistic person. It is a losing of your individuality in order to join the other person and operate as one. So like we see on the slide, I just want you guys to, to consider. What if Joseph had divorced Mary? I'm talking about the biological mother and father, earthly father of Jesus. What happened if he left her? So you know what? This woman is a liar. She went out and got pregnant. She's using God as an excuse of why she's pregnant. Uh, I'm just going to jet. He would have had every right to, based on just the evidence that was there. But he didn't. He understood the sanctity of the covenant that was established in Genesis. And that he had already agreed to and entered into. And he fulfilled his role of operating as one with his wife and look at the benefit he had the chance to raise jesus that's a huge call so remaining faithful in this manner allows you to be one as you were called to be and yeah. operating in that function the enemy attacks in this area to prevent you from bearing fruit together everybody say together together god wants you to do this together one of the things i love about my wife is that we get to do a lot of things together we actually enjoy each other. We actually enjoy the life that God has given us because we get to do it together. I'm not looking for times to be apart from her. We're always looking to stay connected as one in our heart, in our soul, in our spirit, in our body. Don't become impatient. Everybody look up at me. We're almost done. We've got one more passage of scripture, so don't tune out on us. Don't become impatient. When you become impatient, you rush, you settle for, thing, for things that aren't God's plan for you. Yeah. Just don't rush. There's been a, a little bit of a, um, a spree lately of people, because we're talking about singles, we're stirring it up in you, and you're like, yes, that must mean I need to go find a wife now. That's not ever what we've said to you. We're saying you become the man, you become the woman that you're supposed to, and God will help bring you together because it is his good will for this to be the case. Amen. Don't become impatient and you shortchange you becoming who you're supposed to be. If God brought them to you now, would you be ready for them this minute? If the answer isn't a resounding yes and not from a, um, an undialed in kind of perspective... If it's actually yes, then God will bring that person right around the corner. If it's not, then thank God that he's got the gift of giving you more time to get this right. 
so that you can fulfill his will. Everybody turn to Genesis 18 for our last verse of the afternoon. Genesis 18, and we're going to read verses 18 and 19. Miguel, looks like you are next with the microphone. Genesis 18, verses 18 and 19. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Amen. I love Michael's voice. Awesome. How... How did the Lord plan on bringing about for Abraham what he had promised him? Well, somebody answer. Verse, in these verses that we just read, how did God bring about for Abraham? What was the plan to bring about for Abraham what God had promised? I'm going to have Michael read the passage again. In Genesis 18, 18 and 19. Okay, I get it, Pastor. Thank you. <laughs> You're doing great, Mike. Not trying to show off now. Come on. <laughs> Just read the passage. <laughs> Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be best through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So what was God's plan? How was the Lord going to bring about for Abraham what he had promised? By Abraham directing his children and his household. Abraham was going to become a great nation. As a matter of fact, uh, hand this to Micaiah. Micaiah, read the middle bullet here. Not Genesis 18, 19, but the next one that starts with the word Abraham. Abraham was to become a nation, and James 2.23 says he was called God's friend. But he was not chosen to build a nation, bless other nations, institute circumcision, any other wonderful thing he did. See, that was not the point of why God called him. God called him and brought it about. Why? Because he would direct his children and his household. Because he would be an incredible husband, a priest and a provider, because he was going to be the most incredible kind of father, God chose Abraham because he was a family man. God chose Abraham because he was going to fulfill the same call that he put on Abraham. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, the same call that he put on Adam. Because Abraham understood the same call from the beginning, God was able to entrust him. God called him a friend and he ended up producing a nation from him. Yeah. He ended up blessing all the other nations on the world. He ended up instituting circumcision. He uh, ended up becoming the father of the faithful. But those were all the results of him fulfilling his call as a man, as a husband, yes. as a father. He was chosen to direct his children and his household. The other things are the result of that calling. You want to be great? Anybody want to want to live a really, really good life? Anybody want to be considered fantastic and great? 
then you fulfill the singular function that God has put before you. You go back to the beginning of this and you understand that it is in that call to be a husband and that call to be a wife and that call to be parents that you can produce godly offspring. That's why he puts two together as one. And when you do that, you are able to be fruitful, to increase in number, to fill, to subdue, to rule, to do everything else that you need to be accomplished because you are fulfilling and you're hitting that target. Everything we accomplish for God can be lost in one generation if you don't raise your children correctly. That's why this is yeah. so important that you're able to propagate this through the generations. It's not just, it's not only one life and one family and one nation, but it's got to be through the generations or this never occurs. You can't do all these things in a singular lifetime. It takes the generations to fulfill it. Yeah. And that's what we are excited to present to you guys and have you uh, really take in. All right, so I need to know that you guys are still breathing because I don't have time for a mirror test under your nose. I want you to walk away with some clear understanding. So we, we want to know that you got it. So what is the highest function and role for you women? Out loud. Out loud. Say it. Be an extraordinary mother, right? Guys. What is the highest call and role and function for you? Amen. You guys are getting it. That's exactly what we're looking for. Now, we're ready to give you guys some homework. Are you ready to record down, write down what your homework is? You're going to listen to Colt 45, Peacemaker. If you have a cowboy hat, wear it as you listen to the message. It'll help you absorb the content better. <laughs> As you listen to it, you're going to make an outline. Everybody say outline. Outline. Raise your hand. I'm, and I'm serious about this. Raise your hand if you do not understand what an outline is. Okay. I'm taking your word for it. You're going to write down in an outline the major points. Say major points. Major points. And then underneath those major points, sub points that go along with it. So we have major points with sub points. You will write this down and have it ready to hand in the next class. Yeah, you're going to put your name on it. You're going to hand it in the next class. I did this again this week. Yeah. I'm the kind of teacher who actually does the homework that you get assigned. I did it again this week. This was from October of 2006. Pastor Eric preached this in 2006, and it's just as relevant today as it was then, I promise you. It's actually kind of been like a little bit like fine wine. It's just kind of aged really, really well. Colt 45, Peacemaker, is a sermon from October of 2006. Outline it, and you're going to present it next week. Stand to your feet. Daniel Cho, come up here. Run up here to the front, and you're going to pray for everybody on the way out here. Run, run. Yeah. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for this revelation from heaven. Lord, I'm asking that this would be a firmly embedded goad into our hearts, Lord. I'm asking that the single woman would be uh, set their gaze on being extraordinary mothers, that the men in this room would be setting their gaze on being providers and priests of their homes, Lord. I'm asking that we would live out this faith today, Lord, that we would have absolute convictions on this word today, Lord, that we would go back to our houses and, and meditate on this word. We would remember this. We would realize this. We're asking that we would dial in our discernment and understand what we need to address in our lives. So we're asking for your Holy Spirit. We're asking for this empowerment. Lord, we're asking for this manly vigor to rise up, to put the, the kibosh on cowardice, and to fulfill this. We ask this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Woo! Get it, Joe!